Welcome back to Sister Alley Cat's Tea, where we talk about all things church-related. And we're going to start on our second episode of The Whole Armor of God. And before we get right into Ephesians, the sixth chapter, I want to go back and reiterate concerning the scripture that I couldn't remember from episode one concerning the spirits in heaven. That scripture comes from 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, the 19th through the 23rd verse. Again, 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, verses 19 through 23. Now, just give you a little background on how we get to the 19th uh, verse. Uh, King Ahab, the king of Israel, wanted to take Ramoth Gilead from Syria. He felt that Ramoth Gilead belonged to Israel. And he began to ask King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to go with him to battle. Now Jehoshaphat wanted to inquire of God, being a man of God. So Ahab began to call his 400 prophets to come prophesy unto them whether they should go to battle or not. And all 400 of the prophets begin to say to the king, go up. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. However, for some reason, Jehoshaphat was not satisfied with what the 400 prophets began to prophesy. And Jehoshaphat began to say, or began to ask, is there another man of God other than these 400 prophets that we can uh, call upon to inquire of the Lord? And Ahab began to tell him about Micaiah. And so they began to send for Micaiah. And as the messenger went to find Micaiah to fetch him for the king, the messenger began to tell Micaiah, now all of the prophets, all of these 400 prophets, the prophets of the king, they have told the king to go up to battle. So what I need you to do is to say the same thing. Now, Micaiah, being our true man of God, he began to say, okay, oh, he began to say, well, I'm going to say what the Lord speaks to me, basically. However, when Micaiah got before the king, for some reason, he began to say the same thing as the prophets, as the 400 prophets. However, King Ahab knew that it was not what God had really said because there was a um, there was a uh, the relationship between King Ahab and Micaiah was not a good relationship. Ahab actually hated Micaiah because everything that Micaiah prophesied to Ahab was not good. And therefore, when Micaiah began to say the same exact thing as the 400 prophets, go up, go to battle. God's going to give it into your hands. Ahab felt that something was not right. And he began to tell Micaiah, you tell me the truth. Tell me what God really said. So then Micaiah began to tell the word of God, how he saw in a vision, God 
standing before his throne with all the souls in heaven. And God began to say, who will go to, uh, actually, let me go ahead and read this scripture. We're going to go to 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, and we're going to start at verse 19, and I'm going to read it for you. The king of Israel said, well, I'll go to verse 18. The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil? And he said, the he, meaning Micaiah, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, all of the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramah Gilead? In other words, the Lord wants to know who's going to go down to earth and persuade Ahab to go to battle. And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. So there are different ones in the host, you know, saying or giving their thoughts on the situation. And verse 21 is where we want to get to. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, meaning unto the spirit, wherewith, how are you going to persuade him? And he said, the spirit said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. So this spirit came before the Lord and he said, the way I'm going to handle it, the way I'm going to take care of this task, the way I'm going to complete this task is I'm going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of Ahab's prophets. And the Lord said, and he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. So basically, a spirit went before the Lord and said he would complete the task that God was asking for. And God asked him, how? And the spirit said, I'm, I'm going to be a lion spirit in the mouths of all Ahab's prophets. <laughs> and then the Lord said, okay, you're going to do that and you are going to complete the task. You're going to be successful in what you're going to do. And the Lord told him to go. Thus God put a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets to persuade Ahab to go to Ramah Gilead that he will fall in the battle. So Ahab's time was up. So this lets you know that I mean, it was time for Ahab to die, to leave the earth. So this lets you know, this is another example of what is done in heaven comes to earth. We can go back to uh, episode one where we, I read the quote of Tony Evans. Whatever is uh, visible and tangible in this, in this earth, something preceded it that was un invisible and in the spiritual realm. So God, this conversation was made in heaven. God, God wanted Ahab to go to battle because he wanted Ahab to die in the battle. So 
what happened? There was a conversation in heaven about this battle and about Ahab being killed. And God sent a spirit to be a, a lion spirit in the mouths of the prophet in order to make sure that Ahab goes to battle and is killed. So we must realize that what happens on the earth, it's discussed or it's already taken care of or it's already done in the spiritual realm. That's why Jesus prayed when he when he did his model prayer. He prayed, he said, thy will be done here on earth as it already is in heaven. It's already uh, completed in heaven. It's already uh, uh, decided in heaven. So we want that will to be done. The word of God is already decided in heaven, but we want that word to come down here to earth where he, he's going to bless us and we, he's going to bless our seed. That word is established in heaven. We want that word to be established in earth. So this is just an example. I wanted to come back and reiterate or I'll let you know that scripture since I, I didn't remember the scripture uh, in the first episode. But I wanted to revisit this and let you know so you can go and read it for yourself. Go and study it for yourself because there's some there are many truths or there are many mysteries in that story in itself go to first kings chapter 22 read it and study it for yourself praise god now this lets us know that there are spirits in heaven waiting just waiting for a task here on earth to cause mischief in your life that is a prime example so don't take it lightly we must study the spiritual realm because what goes on in the spiritual realm it manifests in the natural the decision was made in heaven that Ahab must die or Ahab should die the decision was already made in heaven so it had to manifest in the natural it had to manifest in the earth realm and what happened Ahab went to battle and he was killed Praise God. Now we're going to go back to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. I just wanted to take care of that before we go back to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, talking about the whole armor of God. Now we are at the 11th verse. That's Ephesians, the sixth chapter and the 11th verse. It reads, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the Bible here, Paul is telling us that we have to clothe ourselves with the complete armor of God that God has provided for this battle. We must put on every piece to be strong, to be powerful, and to be successful at defending ourselves against the schemes, the strategies, and the deceits of the devil. We must clothe ourselves with the whole armor. This is our defensive tool. This is what God has given us to defend ourselves or to uh, 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 keep ourselves from harm. The whole armor of God. Why? We got to put on every piece. Every piece of the armor makes us strong. It makes us powerful. It makes us successful at defending ourselves against the schemes, the strategies, the deceit, the temptations, whatever the case may be, whatever the devil throws at us, the whole armor 
helps us defend ourselves against everything, every attack of the devil. That we may be able to stand, that we may be able to stand firm, immovable in the authority that God has already given us. God gave us the authority. We talked about that uh, in the book of Luke, how uh, uh, Jesus began to say that the Lord, that we are, we've given the power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. And by any means, nothing will harm us. We've already been given the authority. We can also uh, talk about the scripture that we've talked about in ver- episode one, how in, in, in the book of Matthew, how that we have the keys to the kingdom and whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. We already have the authority and that authority gives us the ability to stand firm. That authority gives us the, the ability to stand in our place, no matter what the enemy brings up against us, what, no matter how he torments us, no matter what the enemy does. We have the authority and we have the ability when we put on the whole armor of God, which are our defensive and our offensive tools. We must use the tools that God has given us. Why? Because Satan is a master strategist. He's a master at it. He's, he's been doing it for over 2000 years. He's a master strategist at it. He even went to Jesus. He tempted Jesus. We can read in the scriptures. He tempted Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Jesus used his tools. Jesus used the scriptures against the devil. Remember, Satan is a master strategist and he seeks our downfall. He seeks our destruction by whatever means necessary. Jesus told Peter. In Luke 22 and 31, Jesus began to tell Peter, Satan hath desired to have you. We're going to stop right there just for a second so that can marinate. Satan hath desired to have you. Jesus is telling Peter this. Think about that. Satan hath desired. What does the what does the word desire mean? Well, in the Greek, desire means to ask or beg for one's self to ask that one be given up to another from the power of another. In other words, Satan begged for Peter. He begged God for Peter. Luke 22 and 31, Satan had desire or Satan has begged for you, Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that thy faith fail you not. And when you are converted, when you have uh, gained strength and come back to yourself, that you will be able to go and strengthen your brother. Satan desired to have you. Satan begged for you, Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. Do, do, do anybody know the process of sifting wheat? Well, I'm going to break it down for you uh, in, a, in a short version. When wheat is sifted, 
back in those days, remember, we got to think about back in Jesus time. Wheat was sifted. There were three stages in the sifting of wheat. There's the threshing, there's the winnowing, and there's the sieving. And this process, this whole process, gets the grain ready for grinding into flour. Except what it does is it separates the good from the bad. So Satan desired to sift Peter like wheat. <laughs> Think about it. He wants to sift Peter like wheat. Okay, so a sifting the threshing part. It the threshing part removes the grain of wheat from the stalk. And how do they do that? They beat it. They beat the you know after after it is uh, uh, taken out of the field, they put it on a um, a threshing floor which is stone, and they actually beat the wheat off of the stalk. In some instances, you can read where they had the, the cows and the oxen to roll, walk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth over the, uh, over the wheat to get it off the stalk. So remember, Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. Okay, so he wanted to beat Peter. He wanted to uh, walk on him. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is the process. The winnowing, winnowing process separates the loosened chaff from the grain. The grain is thrown in the air. And the chaff, which is the, the sticks and the, the little pieces of stalk, is carried away by the wind. And the grain itself, which is heavier than the chaff, it falls down to the ground. Now think about this in the spirit. What the devil wants to do, well, he wants to beat you. He wants to walk all over you. Then he wants to throw you in the air so you can fall down on the ground. And he, it, this is a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Just think about it spiritually. Transfer the actual actions of the, the sifting of wheat. Think about it in your mind as what the enemy is trying to do to you. He's trying to beat you. He's trying to throw you in the air and make you fall to the ground. These are, these are things that will cause harm to you, cause harm to your mind, cause harm to your physical body. The seething process, which is the third process. Oh, this is the fun part. It is necessary due to weeds, weed seeds. You remember the story about the, uh, uh, as the men slept, when you go to sleep at night, when you dreaming, the devil comes in. Remember the scripture? When the men slept, the enemy came in and he sowed tares among the wheat. In other words, he planted weeds. And when the when when the when everything began to grow, then the men said to their master, How did these tares get in here? How did these weeds get in with the grain, with the wheat? with the the good fruit how did how did that happen well when you were asleep the devil came inside of your dreams and he planted seeds you got to pay attention to your dreams dreams are very serious but we won't get on that <laughs> because we're talking about the whole armor of god but that is a part of your arsenal you have to pay attention to your dreams but anyway, we're going to go back to the seething process. Okay, so the weed seeds got mixed in with the wheat. 
So what they do is they place a, a small amount of the wheat in a sieve. It's a tool. And what they do with this tool, they shake it six or seven hard shakes. Can you imagine Satan shaking you up? Bringing something into your life that shakes you up. And what it does is it separates the remaining chaff at the top of the sieve while the wheat is at the bottom. Then the sieve is slanted. It is jerked up and down and for a length of time. So that jerking, pulling you back and forth, back and forth. Satan is pulling you in his direction, but the Holy Spirit, you decide that you're going to uh, follow the Holy Spirit and you're jerked back toward God. And then Satan comes back and plants another seed and you're jerked back to the, to the uh, kingdom of darkness. You're jerked up and down for a length of time. Is what, what, this is the sifting process. And what is left? Is picked out by the hands. Oh my God. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. We're going to talk about that as we get further down in the scripture. Hand-to-hand -hand, hand -hand combat with the devil. My God. Jesus told Peter this. We don't have to try to figure it out. Jesus said, Satan had desire to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. And we just talked about the sifting process. But I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail you not. And when you are converted, that you may be able to strengthen your brethren. So even though Jesus told Peter what Satan wanted to do for him. Satan told him, yes, this is, this is what Satan wants to do. He, he's begged for you. He's begged God for you, Peter. But I have prayed for you. Satan wanted him just that bad. So can you imagine just how bad Satan wanted you? Because of the things that Peter were going to accomplish throughout his life. The, the, the uh, souls that were going to be saved under the direction of Peter. Satan wanted Peter so Peter could not accomplish his job. But Jesus prayed for him. We can also be reminded how Satan negotiated with God for Job. Satan, you can, you can find that in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. Read Job chapter 1, 6 through 12 and Job chapter 2, 1 through 7. How Satan began to negotiate with God over Job. Not once, but he did it twice. This is how bad Satan wants the people of God. This is how bad he wants to uh, uh, take turn you into the kingdom of darkness or lead you to the kingdom of darkness, take you away from the kingdom of light, take you away from the kingdom of heaven, from the kingdom of God and have you into his being a part of his kingdom or going to hell, uh, going to the lake of fire with him. We, we read about that in, in Revelations, the 12th chapter. This is how bad he wants this to come about. Can you hear the revelation in the sifting of wheat? This is how the devil desires to handle us. He wants to beat us. He wants to throw us in the air. He wants to shake us, sharp shakes, jerking us up and down, etc. Picture yourself as the wheat in the process of sifting. That is what the devil wants to do to you. <laughs> but God, but God, 
Praise God. Now we're going to also look at John 10 and 10. We, we really want to uh, look at what the enemy is coming to do. John 10 and 10 says the thief coming not but to for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, but I come that ye may have life and that you have might have it more abundantly. The thief, which is a stealer, literally and figuratively, the stealer, he comes. The only reason he comes, except for the takeaway from you, take away from your life, take away from your livelihood, take away from your family, take away your mental stability, take away health in your body. He, that's, that's the only reason he comes is to take away from you. And not only take away from you, that's stealing. He's a robber. But he also, and the Bible says, and to kill. He comes to slaughter you. He comes to kill you. He comes to scandalize your name. He comes to kill your faith in God, your belief in God. He comes to kill uh, uh, your faith in God. He comes to kill. He comes to uh, uh, slaughter your children. Slaughter your relationships, your husband and wives. He comes to slaughter your body, if you want to put it that way. He comes to slaughter your mind. He comes to kill your mind. Have you in a wonder? Have you disoriented? Have you confused? These are the things that the devil comes to do. And the Bible say, and to destroy. He comes to render you useless. Useless in this natural world and useless in the kingdom of God. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. To render you useless. This is what the thief comes to do. Who is the thief? The thief is Satan. It may not be Satan himself, but he sends his demons or he sends his representatives, his cohorts. This is what he comes to do in our lives, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. More abundantly, more than what is necessary. Jesus comes to give you more than what is necessary. So we have to put on the whole armor. We have to put on the whole armor and we cannot take this battle lightly. We must stay on our feet. We must stand. The scripture says, put on the whole arm of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what are the wiles of the devil? The wiles of the devil. Let me give you some examples of the wiles of the devil. There's division in the church. Can anybody, uh, can I get a witness? <laughs> can I get a witness about the division in the church? The cliques in the church. Uh, you think it's a clique between man and woman or, or, or uh, uh, sister against sister, brother against brother. No, that's the devil. That's the devil causing division in the church because he knows if the church comes together in unity, there is strength. The Bible says where there is unity, there is strength. So he comes to make division in the church. I don't know about you, but uh, every church that I've been affiliated with, there has been division in the church. 
So that's what that's the job of the devil. But our job is to recognize that the, the devil is come in and we have to recognize it and we have to uh, uh, form unity in the church. We have to cast him out. We have to resist whatever he's telling that seed that is planting. We have to resist that seed that division will not manifest in the church. This is one while of the devil. What's another while? Unbelief in the promises of God. The devil brings unbelief. So you will not believe or we will not believe the promises of God. A great example of that is in Mark, the ninth chapter, verses 23 through 24. Read the story for yourself. But Jesus, this man began to bring his son to Jesus, a deaf and dumb spirit. And he began to ask Jesus, if that can't, if that will, you can make my son whole. But what did Jesus say in verse 23? Jesus said, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew the power that he had. So he had to turn that around and say, no, I know who I am. But if you can believe in me, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. It is possible if you believe. So what did the father say? He said, Lord, I believe. But then he turned back around and said, but help thou my unbelief. Now, why did he say that? I can just imagine as soon as the words proceeded out of his mouth, Lord, I believe the devil planted a seed in his ear, in his mind to get to, to, for a seed of doubt, a seed of unbelief. And then he turned right back around and said, Lord, help die my unbelief. So I believe, but I also have unbelief. Why? Because the devil, the wiles of the devil is to bring unbelief in the promises of God. And trust me, he doesn't just plant the seed and, and let it and just go away and let it do whatever it wants to do. He plants that seed and he nourishes that seed. He makes sure that seed grows and accomplishes the, the strategy that it, he wants it to accomplish. So we got to stand against these things. This is a while of the devil. This is what the devil comes against us with. He brings discouragement. He brings temptation to sin. He brings compromise of conscience. He brings disobedience. He brings rebellion. Rebellion, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 15 and 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. But Satan brings that to you to make you rebel against the things of God. Well, God, when you rebel against God, God considers that a sin of witchcraft, something that he totally hates without measure. So we don't want rebellion in our life. I can witness. I can. I'm a witness to being rebellious and I can witness. I'm a witness to what it brings into your life. So we, we want to stand up against rebellion. We want to stand up against unwillingness to forgive. He brings that to us. Unwillingness to forgive. This is huge. Forgiving others of the things that they've done towards you is huge. We have to forgive. 
Why? Because unforgiveness opens doors that allows darkness to come into your life. We don't we want to we want to forgive. What else does he bring? He brings fear. What well, the Bible tells me in 2 Timothy 1 and 7 that for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us power. He's given us love and he's given us a sound mind, a healthy and a robust mind. Why, why does God say of a sound mind? Why? Because the battlefield is in the mind. That's where the devil uh, comes and attack you in your mind. He can't, he can't um, tell you to be rebellious unless he, uh, you, you don't just automatically be rebellious. He tells you in your mind, rebel against God. He may not use the word rebellious, but he uses something that makes you rebellious. Uh, don't go to church. It's not worth it. Uh, don't read your Bible. It, 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 it's confusion or, or it doesn't, it contradicts itself. A lot of people like to use that. It contradicts itself. The Bible is worthless. So we rebel against the word of God. We rebel against the, the uh, statutes, the laws, the covenants of God. That's why the Lord said here in this scripture, 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind, a healthy mind, a robust mind. Why we need that healthy and robust mind? So we can stand up against the wiles of the devil. When he comes up against us with uh, uh, imaginations, we can cast those down. The Bible tells us, we've already talked about it, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are powerful through the pulling down of strongholds, we cast down imaginations. We need a healthy and robust mind to cast down those imaginations that he bring up against us. Those things that are, are against the laws of God. Praise God. These are the things that these are these are examples of the wiles of the devil. Accusation. The devil like to accuse you or accuse us, accuse us of things to make us feel uh, um, unworthy to be a servant of the Lord, to make us feel, uh, uh, to bring condemnation to us. That, that's his goal. Accusations. The Bible tells us in Revelations 12 and 10, for the accuser, which is Satan, of our brethren is cast down which accuse them, which accused our brethren before God day and night. You can find this scripture in Revelations 12 and 10. He accused the brethren before God. He went before God day and night accusing, making accusations, making accusations against you, making accusations against me. Accusations. He wants to bring us into a mind of condemnation. When you are in a mind of condemnation, you can't do anything for God. You can barely do anything for yourself when you're on the uh, uh, um, of that mindset. But we know this is a wild of the devil. This is what he does. This is the things that he bring against us so we will not do the will of God so we will not believe in God's promises this is an example of the wild of the devil remember Job 1 and 2 
how he went before God concerning Job. He, 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 this is what Satan do. He goes to God day and night. He told God, he said, God asked him, what, what are you doing up here, Satan? He said, oh, well, I'm just walking to and, up, to and fro of the earth, seeking whom I may devour, basically. And God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? Read it for yourself. Read Job chapters 1 and chapter 2. Another while of the devil, indulging in sinful nature and spiritual apathy. That means a lack of interest. Lack of interest in anything spiritual. Lack of interest in, in the word of God. Lack of interest in, in going to church. Lack of interest in uh, um, uh, anything dealing with God. There is no interest in it. That's a trick of the devil. If you feel yourself turning away from God or you have no interest in even learning anything about God. Or if you were a, a, a child of God and you turned away. He's calling that prodigal son home. He's calling you home on today. You could be female or male. He's calling you home on today. God loves you. That spiritual apathy, that lack of interest in God, that is a trick of the devil to get you hemmed up, to get you in bondage, to put you in chains and fetters. It is a trick of Satan. It is a wile of the devil. That's why the scripture tells us to put on the whole armor that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We have to put on the whole armor of God and putting on the whole armor and using it. We have to use it. It gives us the power to successfully stand against, successfully take advantage of the wiles, the cunning arts, the deceit, the craft, the trickery of the devil. So we, when, we, when we put on the armor, we have to use it. We have to use the power that God has given us. To stand up against the devil. Up against his wiles. And, and, and we also have to realize and know. What are the wiles of the devil? Because as we read in the first episode. Hosea 4 and 6. That the people of God are destroyed. For the lack of knowledge. And we don't understand. Or we don't know the tricks. And the trickery. And the deceit. And the cunningness of the devil. Like we just talked about, he Satan is a master strategist. He's a master at it. He's a master at his trickery. He's a master at his deceit. And if we don't know what that is, and we do not have the knowledge of it, then how are we going to fight against it? We may have our armor on and we're standing there in the battle, but if we don't recognize the trickery and the treachery of the devil... We don't know how to war against it. We don't know how to use our armor. We don't know how to use the tools that God has given us. So we must recognize this and we must gain knowledge about the unseen world. We must gain knowledge about the devil. Yes, a lot of people say, oh, you, you concentrate on the devil too much. Don't concentrate on the devil. They even use the scripture, resist the devil and he shall flee. Yes, resist the devil and he shall flee. But how do you resist him? You have to know how he's fighting you in order to resist him. So you have to study on his tactics. You have to know about his treachery, his tools that he used. 
his cunning arts, his trickery, his craft, his strategies. You have to know the strategies of the devil in order to fight up against them. So don't use the scripture. We also talked about rightly dividing the word, studying to show ourselves approved unto God and being able to rightly divide it. Yes, we want to resist the devil that he may flee from us, but we also want to know his craft. We also want to know about his strategies. We also want to know how to fight against him, how to use our tools. But in order to do that, we have to study his treachery. Praise God. Now, there is a possibility that we will be injured in the battle. There is a possibility. <laughs> I can almost say or tell you 99.9% of the time you will be injured in the battle. That's why we need to put on the whole armor. The whole armor, not just some of the armor, the whole armor that we may protect our vital areas, the vital areas of our body, the vital areas such as our head and our heart. Proverbs 4 and 23 begins to read, guard your heart. And this is the New Living Translation. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life the bible tells us to guard our heart above everything else what guards your heart we're going to get into the armor but the, the 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 um the breastplate of righteousness it guards our heart proverbs 4 and 23 guard your heart above all else above everything else why are you guarding your heart because it determines the course of your life that's what's in your heart determines the course of your life if you have evil and wickedness in your heart well that's going to determine the course of your life you're going to perform evil and wicked devices you're going to do things evil and wicked if you have the love of God and his goodness and his compassion in your heart, then that's going to determine the course of your life. You're going to do good. You're going to have compassion. You're going to love others. You're going to love the word of God. So when we put on the whole armor, it protects our vital areas because we are going to get injured in this battle. However, we want to protect those areas that are vital to our, 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 <laughs> to our lives, <laughs> vital to our survival, vital to our victory. We have to put on the whole armor. Just remember also that injury is not death. We can heal from an injury. As long as we have on the whole armor, those fiery dots won't be able to get to our heart. But if we get injured on the side, if we get injured in our arm, we can heal from that injury. If our head is protected, that's, that's the whole battlefield right there in a sense. 
or it is. That's where Satan comes with his seeds to plant. But if our head is protected, we have a sound mind. We're not in living in confusion. We can heal from an injury in our leg. We can heal from that. We can heal from an injury in our hand. We can heal from that. But we need to put on the armor, the whole armor, that it may protect our vital areas. Those areas that we can't heal from. Those areas that will cause death. Not only natural death, but also uh, a spiritual death. Just remember, injury is not death. We can heal from injury with the help of the Lord. Let us put on the whole armor that we may be able to stand against the treachery of the devil. Again, I want to thank you for listening to Sister Allie Cat's Tea, where we talk about all things church related. This is the second episode in our series, The Whole Armor of God. And praise God, we have a little bit more to go before we actually get to the armor. But we want to break these scriptures down because we're in a warfare and we want to know how to fight. Once we put on our armor, we want to know how to fight. We want to know what we're fighting against. We want to know how to use our tools. We want to know about the unseen realm. We want to know about that spiritual realm, even though we're living in the natural realm. We want to know what to expect from the unseen realm, from the devil and his cohorts and his representatives. We want to know what to expect and how to use our armor. We want to get a little insight on what's actually going on in the spiritual realm. We want to know what the devil comes to do to us and how he does it. The wiles of the devil. We want to know a little of these things and we're learning here on Sister Allie Cat's Tea where we talk about all things church related. And I will talk to you soon.